page 157, uh, chapter 26, Harsh. I value 30, 30 blows, lots of koans. The way people talk to and treat each other and some of the koans is quite harsh. The subculture from which the co which koan practice emerged, men training training men in hierarchical medieval monasteries accept the conventions of discourse, norms of behavior, and ideas about gender that many of us no longer do. The koans were initially intended for people already committed to practices that work in part by the serious press they put on practitioners, both physically and psych psychologically. Seen from this perspective, the images recorded in what we might call the Dharma combat koans are like snippets of a centuries-long halftime locker room speech by turns encouraging and scathing. Though you can find examples of dharma combat in any traditional collection, they're not much represented in this book. Here's a mild example of the genre from the Blue Cliff record. The high-ranking bureaucrat, Shen Kao, paid Zifu a, a visit. When Zifu saw him coming, he drew a circle in the air. Shen Kao said, just by coming here, little brother, I've already left the realm of true meaning. Why would you make it worse by drawing a circle? Zifu closed the door of his quarters. Zhui Du comments, Shen Kao has only one eye. Uh, Zifu belonged to the Giyong lineage whose members drew imaginary circles as places for people's different perspectives to meet. So Zifu was greeting Chen Kao cordially and making him an offer. Chen Kao was apparently notorious for laying traps for Chan people, taking pleasure in showing them up. Chen Kao sniffly, sniffily declined Zifu's offer on the grounds that it defiles emptiness. Zifu shows him where an overly pure attachment to emptiness leads to absolutely nothing, which is not the same thing as emptiness. Li Dao's later comment indicates that while uh, Chen Kao might dwell in emptiness. He has yet to complete his journey by returning to sit by the charcoal fire of embodied life, which would open his other eye. Perhaps the most helpful use we can make of this story and others like it is to inquire into the possibility of our own inner Chen Kao and whether it's leading us to miss the kinds of opportunities that Zifu represents. Yeah, I'm not. Um... Any comments on this? Could you go to the page before where it's sure dark? anything you want. Okay, and then I imagine they're drawing these circles in the air. Does it say? Oh yes, he drew a circle in the air. I like that idea. As places for people's different perspectives to meet. Mm -hmm. I always love Venn diagrams.
Many Chan and Zen teachers have been worried that their students might either over-intellectualize <coughs> or sent sentimentalize the practice. And the harshness of some koans is intended to preempt these tendencies. Also, part of the tradition's focus on deconstruction has been iconoclastic <coughs> against putting anyone or anything, including your own thoughts and feelings, on a pedestal. The harshness was originally a strategy, not an expression of fundamental truth. The strategy led to its own confusions, as when an allergy to sentimentality becomes discomfort with them. <laughs> emotion of any time, kind. Eventually, most antidotes themselves need antidotes. Uh, and Nelda. I think it's Nandia, actually. Nandia, and then Nelda. Okay. Sometimes we inquire whether a custom is addressing a problem we actually have or is creating one for us. For example, rudeness was employed because it transgressed social norms and so could be a startling, could be startling in a useful way. But again, the point was the startling, not the rudeness. In many of our contemporary cultures, rudeness reinforces rather than transgresses norms and it might be more startling sometimes to be courteous. <laughs> in I case, have, just briefly, I have to say that was definitely the case in New York City. <laughs> but I understand that after 9-11, there was a period where there was a lot of people being nice and courteous. Were you around then? I was not. I was oh. before that, I think. Okay. Yeah. But I remember that. I remember being astonished at how um, it's like for this sort of very brief little, little crack of a window, I felt like people really saw one another and acknowledged one another. And, and took an extra beat to like extend kindness. It was refreshing. All this is trying to wake people up, isn't it? Nelda, you wanna read? Yes. In case it needs saying, lots of people will not find a tradition that normalizes smack talk and stern aloofness welcoming. Harshness and haughtiness are choices, what Lin Ji would call positions, and they aren't identical to discipline and resolve. They are a matter of robes rather than skin, and we can choose to lay them down. And as Trama taught in a time of crisis, and he left a complicated legacy, both tough and generous. As we learn to live our way into our own hard time, I think of him saying that when you're stuck, when you don't know what to do, make yourself a raft or ferry boat for others. In that spirit, it seems likely that less caring and more mending will best meet this time. A contemporary writer, Ocean Wong, talks about the custom of taking off your shoes to show respect as you enter a space and how, quote, I want to take off the shoes of my voice so I can enter a place with care, close quote. It's a lovely quote. Also, it's a mindful act, isn't it? Rather than just walking in. In a movie I was watching, um, the woman had everyone take off their socks too. 
What movie was that? What, is that a movie? No, I'm asking, uh, what movie did you watch? Oh, oh, it was, um, I'm not sure, it was a series. Okay. And I'm not, I don't remember. It was like three days ago. Okay. A long time ago. Okay. So it's me? Yeah. The contradiction has grown beyond its rather narrow original plot line to become a part of world culture because the spirit at the core is such a powerful and unique one. Maintaining a living connection with that spirit is a work in progress. And Cody? When I was teaching, we became aware of how much we lost of the insight, stories, imagery, imagery and guidance of the women who helped dream on the koan tradition for over a thousand years. Very few women are represented in the original koans, which isn't an accident. Women have been systematically written out of the Chan bi biographical records that were mined for koans. We have just enough informa information about Japanese women teachers and practitioners to make us hungry for more. A few reports survive of hybrid monastic lay communities developed by women outside the structures of Chan authority. The practices they develop might uniquely suit ways many practice now down to us. These are real losses that have hurt individuals and weakened the koan tradition. And we can't know how many other people of all kinds of genius walked away from the tradition because they couldn't find a way in. There is no reason in the whole wide world for this to continue. In the koans, there is an ancient tree that casts no shadow, and beneath it is a ferry boat. The community gathers there to cross the river together. So Koan falls into a well. What is the way a clear-sighted person falls into a well? Failing. The Chinese teacher Beiling Huajian created a set of three questions and answers that were known as his turning words. This is the middle couplet. Here it serves as an example of how your relationship with the koan can change over time. When I first heard this koan, I burst out laughing because of course, all the koan practice in the world won't save you from making mistakes. Really, everything we do is a mistake because we can't possibly know all of the results of our choices. In an absolute sense, there's no way to get any decision right. So the question becomes more like deciding on the most beautiful, thoughtful, generous mistake you can make under the circumstances and then paying attention to what happens. I love that thought. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I don't know why my parents never told me that. 
Did they know it? Based on what they told me, unlikely. I loved, um, I went to this talk at a public library in St. Louis, and it, it was a book, you know, a guy had just written a book, but it was about one of the things he mentioned was this company would give people two week paid vacations if they were going, if they were doing something that wasn't working. <laughs> and how important it was to fail. <laughs> so they were really celebrating mistakes. Think of how many, I like to think about this, how many scientists spend their whole life, you know, barking up the wrong tree and how important that was even, you know, for the development of science that it eliminates a variable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't work. I'm trying to get a doorbell to work and it's like that. I, I keep scratching my head and eliminating variables. And now I've disconnected the, the front doorbell to the back doorbell. So that still didn't solve the problem. It's time for a week's vacation, Kim. <laughs> Two weeks. Two weeks. My, my wife can't, can't, can't figure out how I'm able to pursue this doorbell. <laughs> okay. She has to pay attention to what happens. I keep getting new ideas. Okay, now, who's reading next? Nandia. Oh, me? me? Did I read? Oh, I think Kim. it's Kim. Yeah. Okay, pretty soon what stepped into the foreground of this koan is the idea that Quite often in life, wells are what present themselves to us. Wells are what happens. We are surprised, ambushed sometimes by events. The ground that seems solid under our feet suddenly gives way. And we have to make a choice that yesterday we didn't, that yesterday we didn't know existed. Oh. You have to make a choice that yes, the choice is what we didn't know existed. Okay. Life, it turns out, is full of wells and potholes and interesting portals. And sometimes being clear sighted means falling into them. Sometimes falling into them is the most generous thing to do. People you care about are in trouble. A plant is, a planet is in trouble. Do you cross the street or do you fall in? Mm. Mm. Good question. Some people spend a lot of time at the lip of the well, peering over, dropping stones in to see how deep it is, trying to find a way around the opening, or thinking that they're not ready, that they need to get their lives together or learn to repel. This has its own pain. If a well presents itself, which mistake do you make? My attempt, has Malen read? Malen decided she wanted to listen. Okay, all right, thank you. My attention shifted from the well to the falling. I thought of Pang Ling Xiao, whose father tripped and fell one day. Ling Xiao threw himself down next to him. And when he asked her what she was doing, she explained, I saw you fall, so I'm helping. May we all be blessed with one person whose idea of helping oh, is to accompany us as we trip and fall with the sympathy that is unafraid Unself-conscious and funny. Wow. Yes. I love that. I love that. Go on. I've... Can you mark it, Kim? Sure. Please. You, if you Google it, um, 
So the, this is a father daughter who had a great relationship. And, um, but if you Google it, uh, you know, that he fell and she, um, fell too, then you can, you can find many instances of it. I see. Thank you. It's so embarrassing. My my father-in-law. I'm not going to say what it was, but he has something very embarrassing going on, and you know, so I'm today, and so I'm thinking of him. You know, like what could someone do to make him feel better about this? Um, so anyway, you know, in this there's a idea in, in Buddhism of of uh, doing the appropriate action so is that the appropriate action when someone falls to fall next to them to make them feel less self-conscious that's how i take it i guess it depends doesn't it oh it always depends yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why there's no um there's no book that really tells you what to do And the next time he fell, she might do something completely different that would be appropriate. Run away. <laughs> so, uh, who's reading now? Is it me? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Then there is Muso Soseki who went off into the mountains to concentrate completely on his meditation. One night, he finally decided to go to bed after sitting in his garden until late. He didn't bother to light his lantern because he knew the way back, even in the dark. As he stood up, he put his hand out to steady himself on a wall that was supposed to be there, but it wasn't there, and he fell over. He just kept falling all the way through, right into emptiness. He started to laugh, and the laughter didn't stop for a long time. That's funny because um, well, I wrote something to Peg, and, and she, she wrote, don't lose yourself in emptiness. And then two weeks ago, I wrote something to Peg, and she wrote, don't lose yourself in emptiness. <laughs> I think she's afraid I'm going to lose myself. That's a wonderful story. He, mm. he kept falling all the way through right into emptiness. He sat too long. Okay, I think it's Cody's turn. Yes, eventually the idea of falling, of falling took on vaster proportions. Lifetime after lifetime, we fall through the universe, through solar systems and interstellar gas clouds. Now we're falling together through a little planet in one of, the, in one of those solar systems. We find that it's made of carbon and hydrogen, tenderness and regret, light, dark, and twilight. It may not be like this everywhere. Life as a molecule in one of those interstellar glass, uh, gas clouds might be ecstatic, surfing the currents of space. Astronomers say that when the clouds bump into each other, they make a sound like chiming. It's not always ecstasy and chiming here. The invitation this particular world extends is a complicated one. But in the big picture, we're falling not through solitary wells, but together, accepting the particular invitation of this world together. Hmm. I'm really curious about that. About what? Whether clouds make any noise when they bump into each other. Hmm. It would be easy to Google. Would you? 
I don't have my phone here, but I can Google. Give me. Okay. So I'll pass on this read to go get my phone and Google it. Oh, sure. I can do I'm it. I'm Google it. Right. Right. Oh, you're going to. We don't want to lose you. Cody's got to Google it. Okay. And who's reading? I'm reading. Okay. One day. Wait, okay, Cody, Cody, you found it already? You say so you're you're asking Do clouds, clouds make a noise when they bump into each other? Make a note. Or what noise do clouds make when they bump into each other? Well that okay. Thunder. This is so That's dumb that we're asking. <laughs> I can't imagine they do. But go on, Cody. What did you find? Thunder. Oh. Uh, of course. No. Actually, that okay. So lightning causes thunder, but one one of the one of the answers says the clouds hit together and the ground shakes and makes a big thud. <laughs> but is that a joke or uh, is that a serious? It's a, no, I believe this is a serious. Uh, and then some says cloud does not clouds do not make noise, not even thunder. Hmm. And then some one says, yes, clouds do have an effect on sound. So it's I guess like, it depends on who you ask. Or maybe this is like the con, like the one hand. What is the sound of uh, clapping? Yeah. Clouds yes. bumping into each other. <laughs> maybe. To her, maybe in her mind, it's chiming. I like this idea, so I'm going to say it's true. Well, okay. Uh, ready? Yes. One day we will fall completely through this world, back into the darkness and whatever comes next. In some Scottish churches, small models of ships are hung among the rafters to commemorate losses at sea. Gazing up at them, I thought of all the souls who sank through the waters all the way to the bottom and then farther to continue their voyage in the sky. As the light dims in your human eyes for the last time, what will you say of the life that's passing? What has joined its molecules with yours? carved itself into your bones as the last well presents itself what will fall with you from this rocky little planet Okay. All right. Uh, no longer foreign. If wherever you are, you take the role of host, that place will be a true place. Quinji. Sometimes people bridle at the forgiveness. No, no, no. Oh. Sometimes people bridle at the foreignness, oh yeah, of many of the traditional koans. They come from such a different time. They speak in such a different kind of language. They don't seem to address many of the aspects of life that are important to us now. There's truth in all of this. And the koan tradition is, in some schools, evolving in response as it always has. There can also be value in the unfamiliarity of the koans. We know that the ways we receive information now more often reinforce than challenge our expectations and beliefs. The koans, on the other hand, require us to confront and respond to the unexpected and the unfamiliar. They go against the grain in a profoundly helpful way. 
foreignness, oh, there, yeah, foreignness can run the other way too. When you're feeling like the foreigner with no place in a koan. I still remember the moment in my own study when the simple substitution of her for his immediately opened up a koan. Why can't a person of great strength lift up her leg? Suddenly, I got that this wasn't an abstract question, but actually about me. How do you guys read that? Isn't that interesting? It might be for a man, but I know that when I change pronouns often, it feels more personal. And so it sounds like that's what may have happened to her, that it felt like it related to her more. What? And well, it here? also takes it out of sort of um, this sort of precious uh, historical context to a more immediate. Because it's differentiating. I got a different thing that that if it was a person of great strength lift up his leg, it would be the leg of the person of great strength. This is just how I'm reading it. But but with her, it was someone lifting up someone else's leg, a woman's leg. Oh, that's interesting. You took the um the person's you removed the person's autonomy from the whole thing when you, yeah. when you changed the pronoun. Very interesting. <laughs> because with the him out of there, it, it becomes more personal to me. It becomes my leg. Isn't that interesting? As opposed to a man's leg. Are you the person of great strength? Yes. Okay. Also, there's so many ways of reading this. Good. Suddenly I got, who's, am I reading? I think you just did read, no? Okay, suddenly I got that this wasn't an abstract question, but actually about me. Or is Cody reading? Who's reading? No. Uh, I you, oh. Who just read? I didn't finish. Yeah, I think you were. Oh, sorry. I thought you finished the part. And that was just the beginning. If I am the person of great strength, I'm also an old man of the Tang dynasty, donkey, bodhisattva of compassion, juniper tree, and they're me. Uh. Time and again, the koans overturn our sense of self by enlarging it past the boundaries <coughs> of habit. It's true that koans subvert ordinary cognition and stymie the rational mind, but those descriptions don't quite capture the exhilaration of stepping free of the dropped winter coat of the self. Perhaps the most breathtaking foreignness of the koans is that they wander into our ordinary days and remind us how large, how mysterious, how absolutely astonishing the universe is every ordinary moment of it. They open our heart minds to that, and then they keep opening our heart minds to that until that is no longer foreign at all. Doubt. Nothing will do. What do you do? Isamatsu Shinichi. Koan practice is about awakening, the capacity to have a deep and open and helpful life. If that's not what seems to be happening, it's time for some inquiry. Keep going or pass it on? Why don't you keep going? Everyone will have times of doubt, but not all doubt is the same. One kind is a great doubt, and it's a pillar of the tradition. Let me start that over. 
One kind is a great doubt, and it's a pillar of the tradition, along with great trust and great perseverance. This doubt takes the form of a vital question that won't let you go, though you can't seem to answer it. It's an uneasiness you move toward in koan practice, staying with the question day and night until something breaks open into understanding. Great doubt fuels rather than undermines your practice. An unanswerable question might become an opening if you're willing to endure the frustration, which is where trust and perseverance come in. Mm. Keep going. I think this is still part of the... Oh, okay. Yes. It's natural to feel discouraged sometimes because koan practice takes time and hard work. It can be subversive of our usual managements and negotiations, even of the small and small happinesses we've settled for. And we might sometimes wonder what we've gotten ourselves into. Moments of insight are followed by periods of inter integration when suddenly nothing seems to be happening after a, long, a lot happened and practice can feel like a slog. Sometimes in community, we get disappointed or find ourselves entangled with people. All of these doubtful times are part of the process rather than its failure. Often after an opening, people will find themselves asking, as they told, sorry, as they hold up the dish sponge or listen to the news again. Is this it too? It's also a good question for times when the luster of practice seems to have dimmed. When the going is hard, is this it too? Another kind of doubt, though, can take advantage of the low times. I once heard someone at a science of consciousness conference say that the ego isn't the captain. It's just the noisiest passenger. Hmm. To try to undermine our practice in order to preserve itself. This doubt can be quite per persuasive, marshalling evidence to support itself. You might stall out because you're unwilling to take the next step in which the ego would have to relinquish some control. Is this a matter of experiencing the very human desire for transformation without actually having to change? That is a very strong force indeed. The last kind of doubt is a genuine misgiving that needs attending to. You might be discovering that you don't actually have an affinity with the koans or that what's being asked of you won't help and might even be harmful. Sometimes there is a relentless quality to this practice and an uncomfortably destabilizing one. It's sometimes, un it's sometimes healthy to decline the invitation of the koans. The koan project is fundamentally different from the psychological one. And koan study is not the answer to every question. If you discover you're having psychological challenges that aren't being answered through koan practice, by all means, consider something like psychotherapy instead. Koan practice is not at the individual level about playing it safe. But that's what makes it so important that together we create a field of trust in which each of us can find our own way in our own time with the support of our companions. We should be guardians of each other's solitude as... Uh, Real key. 
Thank you. Said there's a crucial line between what's part of a challenging process we agree to and what's a trespass on that agreement. We choose, for example, the press that is part of a retreat following a tight schedule, lowering sensory input, not getting much sleep, sitting for hours in the same position, being challenged by a teacher. But two things ought to be clear in the midst of the challenges you are being treated with respect and you can get help if you need it if either of those things is not true trust the doubt and find help to address it as i'm reading this i keep thinking that our next book maybe should be a book of koans um, John Tarrant, who we've read before, has a wonderful book uh, of koans. I thought it was right there. No, but anyway, but how do you guys feel about that? Is it the rhinoceros? Yes, we didn't read that, right? Well, many years ago, um, Flint had a class where he used it yeah but that that we can still read it yeah yes but you know she's talked around koans so much and it would be really nice to to work more with individual koans and so that he has koans in a commentary we, we did that on the one book but not uh and he's a fun writer How can we refuse? You make it sound lovely. Oh, here, here. Oh, am I blurred? Yeah, just a second. What's happening now? I'm confused. Oh. I'm just showing this book, uh -huh. which, which is a book of uh, but it's a really nice book. Okay. Well, anyway, we can think about that. We still have a few weeks. Uh, who's reading? Nandia. Ah, okay. okay. Koan. Jalju's turning words. Buddha's made of wood won't pass through fire, for they will surely burn. Buddhas made of clay won't pass through water, for they will surely sink. Buddhas made of gold won't pass through a furnace, for they will surely melt. The true Buddha is sitting in the house. Hmm. We're alive in a world of pieces, fragments, mandalas that dissolve and reform like the images in a kaleidoscope, shifting piles of stuff, tendrils and gusts of energy that flow in and out like the weather. The world as a play of elements, constantly recombining, creating something tender here, something monstrous there. Then the constituents of the tender or monstrous thing come apart and form new things and on and on. We are so far inside the creation and disintegration that are the activities of impermanence that we're constantly buffeted by them, pierced, caressed, taken apart and reassembled. This, um, this reminds me, I've seen, um, lately I've been looking a lot at um, things that people have made with um, like assemblage, like uh, just with uh, like old 
rusty found parts and objects or uh, an old uh, spice tin and you know a pen uh, spring and it's so um, it reminds me of the cartoons you know when something gets kicked into the air and all the parts come apart and then they all land and they make a completely different thing um just this is the image that this um creates for me what she's writing here as well there's a there's a website that my uh grandson is using and you you throw a bunch of lego blocks onto the floor you take a picture of it and then it uh will it will send you instructions on how to make something using just these legos that's great <laughs> what whatever pieces you have it will it will figure out something that you can do with them and you okay. need no more pieces than what you have and you'll use every piece you have Hmm. So, this so that's kind of what we do in our with our lives, isn't it? If absolutely. We were, if we had yeah. our act together, that, constantly, that we have this weird assemblage of pieces, and we're trying to figure out, well, what do we do with these pieces? So nothing's left over, and nothing's okay. Go on, Nelda. I was going to say this paragraph felt very jarring to me, I mean, physically, mm -hmm. very jarring because. Um, it created a lot of, I'm not going to say positive energy. It is being tossed about and buffeted in, in the wind, pierced um, is strong language. That's, that's so interesting how differently things can land for, for people. For me, it, it created, um, I mean, for, for me, those words resonate <laughs> with my life. And um, it just created sort of this, this constant tumult energy of possibility and recreation. It's just, it's interesting. Thank you for saying that, Nelda. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, for me, it's like um, probably I lean closer to what Nelda was saying. I think um, I just think thinking about myself, like um, you know, what form we are presently. I don't know if it's weird to say, but it's like. The, not up to me, you know, it's something, uh, it's things greater than me that's, that's, has a large part in what this constitution is presently. And I think when I, I had a concussion like a year and a half ago or so, and I thought a lot about like these, um, what is it, like the five skandhas, you know, that kind of, there's these five streams that um make up a constitute a like a a being um and when one of those rivers or streams is like obstructed what it does for all the other parts and it was terrifying um you know and that was just my experience then so i think some of that stays with me uh, you know, I don't, I'm probably not using words that relate what I'm trying to say. No, I think you are. It makes I, well, I remember you in that state, too, and how you were trying to figure it out. Go on. Did you talk? Was that you? Someone talked. I did. I said that it made sense. Oh, okay what Jesse was talking about.
Can can you bring me back? Um, there was a I don't know phone call or something coming in, and they knocked me out. You can hear me. I can hear you, but uh, I cannot see anybody, and I cannot see the text. Oh, so click on the icon for Zoom at the bottom of your computer. Well, okay. Well. Um, all right. No, there isn't. Oh yes, there is. Okay. Yes. Oh. I'm here. Thank you. Magic. <laughs> Magic. Yes, of course. Wish my doorbell was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Just look at it uh, tomorrow, maybe from a different angle. <laughs> or throw it on the ground. It's, it, most of it's up in the attic and it's my least favorite place in the world because I fell down there. Okay, oh. so I try to stay out of it, but I have to keep going up there, and then I don't have a tool, and then have to come down. And anyway, mm. someday. Do you need a doorbell? No. <laughs> uh, okay. So there was chest, and it's probably now the no, it came no. I just read, I think I read. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yes, so you then it's drowning. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, it's me, but we have to turn the page. There we go. It's more than the ceaseless forces of transformation acting upon our embodied lives, everything. Subatomic particles, infant new ideas, sudden love, black holes, emerges from the invisible into the visible for a nanosecond or four score and 10 or billions of years, and then subsides back into the invisible. That invisible isn't somewhere else, but flowing through the universe, through us constantly. We are a shimmer of temporary coherence made mostly of the invisible. And it is a miracle we remain more or less intact for the duration of a lifetime. Inside our own heart minds, the visible is endlessly turning into the invisible. Vivid moments that become memories or are forgotten altogether. The face we had at 12, the belief we were sure it would sustain us. It is awe-inspiring and not so easy being alive. I like how you read it with an emphasis. Mm. Oh, that true Buddha and eternal and still in the eye of the storm. How longed for, because it is awe-inspiring, but not so easy being alive. In some versions of the Enlightenment story, that Buddha is the resolution of the problems that wood and clay and golden Buddhas, such as ourselves, face in the fires and floods of the world. I'm not so sure, though, that this is a matter of problems and solutions. Perhaps Zhao Zhou was simply describing the way things are in the world that is simultaneously whole and in pieces, in pieces whole. Endarkment is in part, the way the wood and the clay and the gold of us is acted upon, taken apart and reassembled by the forces of the world. The face we had at 12, the belief we were sure would sustain us, and darkness is the force of nature rising against certainty, position, security. It is a force for instead finding rest in the knowable. It too shapes the flesh and the imagination of that Buddha sitting, not somewhere apart, but in the house of this world. Perhaps the lights are low in the house. 
perhaps the true Buddha sits in a welcoming twilight where the flux is not resisted, but flows through like the currents on that seafloor, the forests of kelp waving this way and that. Perhaps the nature of eternal and still is not, after all, unchanging and unmoving, but capacious, alive to the feel of the currents on skin that is as, as ephemeral as they are, and as ancient as the invisible itself. What I, what I really like about the koan is um, that all these kind of manufactured Buddhas are pretty complete, but there's no resilience. So they go into, they're not able to survive, but then we're, we're the true Buddha. That's how I take it. Have you come across this before, Crowdy? No. Oh. I don't think I read ever anything about a furnace. Or any of it? The, 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 the different? Mm. I thought it was maybe in a fire, but no, I guess that's the wood one. So yeah, the yeah. gold one would melt. But anyway, it's a pretty classic koan. Well, we have to remember that actually uh, depictions of holy things or sacred things uh, have not been in a personal form. Um, for, maybe for hundreds of years. Well, yeah, I mean, during Buddha's time. So soon afterwards, they were just footprints. And so were footprints also of some of the Hindu gods, Brahmanical gods. But it would not be any depiction of a face or a head or the whole figure sitting cross-legged. And this is true of, of course, in Judaism, but also in Islam, a teacher, did you, have you guys been reading about it? Uh, 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 in a college, he um, showed a picture of Muhammad, and mm -hmm. he got he got immediately fired. And now everyone is. Uh, he even warned the students and that this was going to happen, and so forth. But it's it's so um, against the rules for Muslims. Trouty, given that this. The, this koan mentions depictions of the Buddha in different forms. When might it have been written? Well, koans, I mean... Around 900 and later? Well, it could have been earlier, but I do not know. I, I cannot answer that. And I do not know whether it is known. We have to remember that actually um, koans... As, as we talk about them today and how that we name certain things as, as koans, that is really a, a Chinese product. I don't say that there may have not been precursors, but from the text that uh, I read or I had to read um, in Pali or Sanskrit, I don't recall that. So Zhao Zhou lived from 778 to 897. Oh, it's a good uh, time length, right? So, yes. So it is around 800, 900. Yeah, so that is, wow, more than, uh, well, mm -hmm. I, would have to calculate, yeah. So five plus seven, 12, 12 centuries. Um, do you want to stop here or do you want to read another one? I feel complete. Okay. A good place to stop.
There's a lot of stuff here. Mm -hmm. Let me stop sharing. This is really nice to have eight people here, too. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank you.